you know, person with the penis can't get it up. And the other person's like impotent. And they're like, yeah, yeah, I'm feeling that, but, but with my soul. Oh, <laughs> and the not feeling eventually over time. That's what that is for me. Impotence <laughs> of the soul. <laughs> Welcome back to the I'm Lost So What podcast. As usual, this is your host, Cassandra Lay, and I am super excited for y'all to listen to the episode that we've got today. I am bringing on a longtime client of the Quirky Pineapple Studio turn friend. Her name is Shiva Rufe, and Shiva is a curious rebel, community builder, secret punk, perpetual smiler, partner, friend, culture creator, and learning design specialist. Shiva works with Fortune 500 companies as an organizational justice practitioner, helping leaders be less asshole-like by understanding their systemic power so they misuse it less. Her work focuses on power sharing and breaking down harmful cultures in order to create healthier ones. Shiva is also the co-parent of the Ancestral Wisdoms Anthology, a collection of ancestral stories, lessons, and memories for and by the global majority. I'm super excited about this conversation because we're diving into what is ancestry, wisdoms in general, and ancestral wisdoms, and then we are breaking down what is actually culture and leadership. I love all of the conversations that I have with Shiva. So I'm really, really excited to share this one with you all. Let's dive into it. Hello, hello, everyone. I'm Cassandra Lay, and you're listening to I'm Lost, So What? The podcast exploring between belonging and carving your own path. For all the peeps out there who kind of know what you're doing, but still question what the fuck is going on? Yeah, I'm with you. Hello, Shiva. Hello. I'm super excited to have you here. Uh, I feel like this conversation could go lots of ways, mainly because we've had conversations that have gone lots of ways. Everywhere. (laughs) Yeah, but they're always great conversations. And I always feel like they're super, I don't know, deep and heartfelt, uh, a little nutty. I'm imagining us sitting um, in Lisbon when we order like the 12 churros at midnight. (laughs) (laughs) And we just were talking about like life and systems of oppression, eating churros and dipping them in caramels. Yep. Yep. Good times. Mixing all the things. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I'm super excited to have you here. Let's just dive into it. Are you ready? Yeah. Let's go okay. So I always like to start off each episode asking every guest, uh, what does being lost mean to you? And can you describe the feeling of what lost is? it's kind of two in one. Like the answer for both is one thing for me. Mm -hmm. It's like free falling. And I remember when I was like 20 years old, a friend of mine got really angry at me. She was working and she hated her job. And I'm like, just quit the fucking job, just quit and then figure it out. And she flipped out on me and she's like, no, I can't do that. Like some people need stability. You just free fall. Like you just jump out the fucking plane and you fall (laughs) and then you figure shit out. And it, and that's really stayed with me. I mean, it does feel like falling and without a parachute and you don't know where the hell you're going to land, <laughs> where you're going, you can't fly. Right. And it's terrifying, but it's also really liberating, mm-hmm. like being lost. I know that we have this, I don't know, I don't know if it's a taboo, but there's all these programs about like, find yourself and find yourself, discover, yes. yes, find yourself and discover who you really are and all that stuff. And I'm like, but what's wrong with being lost? I kind of like it. It means mm-hmm. that there's no set way. There's no path. I get to wander and discover things that I wouldn't have otherwise discovered. And maybe it takes longer, sure, but I get to see a lot more than I would have otherwise. Yeah. I do feel like 
just, well, I'm pretty sure the self-help personal development, I mean, I'm all about personal development and self-help, sure. But I do feel like that has picked up since I think the start of COVID. And then we're still in that like bubble and space. So when you were saying, oh yeah, all these courses that are like, find out who you really are. What is your purpose in life? And actually the season finale of season one got into what purpose is. Uh, and just like, does purpose even exist? Who knows? Exactly. I still don't know what the hell my purpose is. Like I, and I've done all the business courses, like find your purpose, know what your purpose is. So you can communicate to your clients. I'm like, I don't fuck my purpose is. It changes every five years. Do I need to have one? Yeah. I do feel like it does change. And actually something that my aunt shared in that season finale was that in different stages of her life, her purpose shifted because of the roles that she played. So when she was like 20, her purpose was X, Y, Z. And then when she got married, her purpose shifted a little bit. Now she has, well, my two cousins, um, her two kids. Uh, and so her role shifted to be more mother caregiver. And then it changed. And now her kids are teenagers and her purpose changed again because now it's not really to take care of the kids because the kids are out. So I do think it it does change. But um, something that you said was the free falling feeling. And yes, it's super liberating. And then I can also imagine right before you free fall that like, you know, the panic kicks in. So when you're free falling, it's probably like, oh my gosh, super liberating, best feeling ever. Why didn't I do this sooner? But can you describe what that feeling is, at least for you in your body or like in your thought process, right before you choose to, whether it's jump or somebody pushes you, um, I don't know. But what does that actually look, feel like in your body and your thought process in like life? Mm. So I'm also realizing when I, when it looks like I'm free falling, when it looks like I've just jumped, right? Mm. What people don't realize is that there was years of mm. shit brewing in my head, in the back of my mind, like stuff that I wanted to do or experience that I just did. I was too afraid to say out loud or that like thinking when I was 21 or yeah, when I was 21, I decided to just drop everything and move to Europe without a visa, without money, without a job, without knowing the language, nothing. Right. Everyone thought I was fucking nuts. And they're like, what, what is, what the hell are you doing? But what people didn't realize was that since I was four years old, I knew I did not want to live in the United States. Mm. You know, like I just knew it. And so it looked like this free fall, but there was, there was already so much going on in my head for so long that it wasn't as scary in the moment than what it looked like mm. at the same time. It doesn't mean the fear wasn't there, right? Yeah. Like heart pounding, constantly thinking, am I making the wrong decision? <laughs> am I making the wrong decision? And also sometimes life just like shit just happens and you have no choice, but to jump, right? Yeah. Like I got fired. That was, that was not an intentional free fall. That was just being shoved out the fucking plane. And usually it's like a, a good six months of just this constant low level anxiety. Yeah. I get that. I understand. <laughs> I know I'm not selling it very well there, but then like once you're there, you know, then you're like, oh, so it's like six months of that terror of, of like just being on the brink, even after you've taken the leap. Mm -hmm. And then after the six months, that freedom of like, ah, okay, I can breathe now. Then it comes in. But it is like a, 
like overthinking, waking up, already having conversations in my head, uh, the sweaty palms for like no reason. Uh, my partner just doesn't understand this. He looks at me and he's like, you're having another anxiety attack. Why? <laughs> because life is changing. I made the decision, but life is changing. So yeah, it's a, it's a very visceral thing. And then the mind tries to override that with lots of logic, but you can't logic your way out of massive decisions, right? Like you can't logic your way out of massive risks. Mm. It's more like just my body's telling me this is not the way. And I think that also something I'm realizing recently is I don't want to overuse this, but it's almost like a, it's like my ancestors coming to me and saying, this is not the way this is not for you. Right. And I've always known it but society is always telling me to go this way. And I'm like, no, I want to go. This way is where I want to go. But there's so few people on this path. But there's just like this little hard, deep core of knowing of mm. no matter how fucking scary this shit is, this is the way. So it's a, it's a combination of absolute terror and deep, deep faith. I love that. And I love that it's both. And because I have felt the same thing where before that free fall, but you mentioned like it's years, months, years of brewing ideas, thinking about it. And a lot of the times, of course, on social media, people see the jump. People see like the decision too, but nobody really sees like, oh, I've been thinking about this and maybe I haven't said it publicly. Maybe I've only said it to like my inner network. Maybe I've only said it to my journal. Maybe I've only said it to my therapist that I've been wanting to make this change. And you all are just experiencing the external choice that I have actually done it, but it took time to get here. And I love too, that you brought in your ancestors because I've got questions about ancestry. Uh, So let's just jump into that. I also agree that my ancestors, now that I have become more attuned to, I think their communication, I recognize that they're trying to be like, Cassandra, um, just listen to us. Uh, go the other way. Um, but okay, so I think the word ancestry has popped up a lot in these past years, or at least it's confirmation bias. So I'm like consuming more content. But, um, yeah. That yeah. Says it. but what does ancestry actually mean to you? And how would you describe it? Mm, another tough one. So something I realized recently, and it's not my own realization, it came from someone in my network. It, the difference between lineage and ancestry, Ooh, right? Okay. Like I used to think my ancestry was just my lineage, like the people who birthed me and going upwards. But I realized ancestry is community. It's the communities that I was raised in, where my parents came from, their communities, and so on. Um, going back to, you know, Iran is a tribal community. So going back to the the, the tribes that I belong to. And it's a group of people who just took care of each other. Mm -hmm. And who develop their own wisdoms and ways of being and deep, deep knowing and pass that down. And so ancestry and wisdom is deeply connected to each other for me and also something separate from lineage. So Mm -hmm. my ancestors are not just my immediate family or that that family tree. It is ancient Persia. Mm -hmm. It is current Iran. It is all the communities that influenced that the the communities that my families grew up in and what they learned and and took on from those people and passed down. Mm, okay. So then something 
thank you, by the way, for sharing that. And I love that you differentiated lineage and ancestry. I don't think I ever thought about it like that either. And I think people use ancestry and lineage um, interchangeably right now. Whereas I love this differentiation, but something that you also share a lot about is becoming a better ancestor or a better leadership ancestor. So can you share what that means and looks like? Because now that you've differentiated lineage and ancestry, I am not totally sure like where, (laughs) what makes me a better ancestor or a lineage passer downer? I don't know what it's called. So for example, I don't plan to have children, right? So in that sense, the the, the lineage part is is just not going to continue. But my descendants are everybody around me, everybody whose lives I touch and intersect with and whose lives touch me and intersect with me. So becoming a better ancestor is thinking, as many indigenous tribes do, many generations down the line, right? Mm. People who haven't even been born yet. So whatever I do right now, whatever I say, whatever I do, whatever I tolerate, um, whatever I don't do, don't say, don't tolerate, all these things, all that is creating waves and creating patterns. It's allowing people to either see a different way of being and doing and seeing or kind of perpetuating the status quo, perpetuating shit that we don't want to be perpetuating. So becoming a better ancestor for me is thinking of really, well, really taking it in a look and deciding in what ways am I not doing okay for future generations, for those who are around me. In leadership, it's really clear for me, for example, where whenever I've been in in a leadership position, I've had to really think about, okay, Shiva, however way I'm showing up, the people around me, my direct reports, uh, and also the people who are parallel to me are looking at me and thinking, this is what leadership is. Mm. This is what a leader means, right? They may not be consciously thinking that, but in the end, we're passing down the ways of being and doing and seeing, and they're picking it up, right? So intentionally or unintentionally, it's going to happen no matter what. So becoming a better ancestor is doing that really intentionally. And it's not going to be perfect. It's going to be messy. You're going to fuck up, but it's always righting the wrongs that you have, speaking it out and just showing that there's another way. So Mm. even I don't have any reports, I work for myself, but I have a lot of different clients and They're so used to having consultants. I hate the word consultants, but I don't know what else to call myself. They're so used to having consultants show up in a certain way. And I'm intentionally showing up in a different way just to be like, hey, this is possible. Yeah. We can change these patterns. We can do things differently. And that itself creates another domino effect. So it's just ripples. That Mm -hmm. is ancestry. You're creating those ripples no matter what. So how do we create better ones? How do we create better ones so that in generations down the line, we have done something to improve the lives of of those who come? We don't even know yet. And that's fucking big and scary. And a lot of people, and even my own family, don't get that. Like my dad, bless him, but he's just like, why do we care so much about the environment? You're going to be dead anyway when the world blows up. Great. Mm -hmm. Yes, seriously. And And he's like, you don't have children. And I'm like, I don't, it doesn't matter. How about the people who come after me? How about my cousin's children? How about all the people around us who are going to, you know, be moving forward in this life? I don't want to leave a shit world for them. Mm. So that that's becoming a better ancestor for me, thinking not of yourself, but of the communities around you and the world at large. Mm, I love that. And something that I think you've taught me through like the years that we've been working together is the breadth of ancestry, like the deepness of it. And 
thinking about it. I'm, I'm, I'm listening to you and I'm feeling like, oh, this is really inspiring. And, you know, this is like, okay, work for me to just be more conscious and intentional. And then also there's like the other side of my thoughts, which is, well, that's fucking terrifying. Like I have a lot more fucking power than I realize. So what if I don't want, I mean, I like taking this on, but what if like somebody's listening and they're like, what the fuck? Like, I didn't ask for this, which is fine. Like, you know, we, we run into things like that, but what would you say to somebody who is just like realizing the, the impact that they can really have? I have no idea what to say to them, to be perfectly honest. Mm. That is fair. It's, it's normal. It's natural. I still get terrified. I so scared that I get frozen. That's also me overthinking. So I think maybe it's that it's none of us asked for it, right? For me, it's a duty and duty is a word that I've had a lot of issues with in the past coming from a very collectivist society. We, you are raised with duty. It is like foundational to how you show up. Um, and it feels oppressive at, at sometimes, but if you find, if you see duty in the sense of, well, those who came before me had a duty to, to create a better world for me. And in some ways, many, many, many people did, right? Civil rights movement, the movement for women's liberation and so on. But in many ways they didn't. And I am suffering because of that. Mm. And do I want to pass down that suffering? No. If I can make the world a little bit better for those around me and for future generations, I do want to do it. The overwhelm, the way to manage that is little by little, Mm. right? Like if you're like me, you want to do everything all at once. And you're like, holy shit, there's so much to do. Where do I start? There's just so much shit to fix, right? Yeah. So just start small. Start with like, I'm trying to think of of concrete examples. When I decide to work for myself, I thought, okay, why am I working for myself? Because I, I can't work for a company anymore. I can't live by those ways of being those arbitrary rules, that bullshit idea of professionalism. So then how am I going to show up that's different from all of that? Mm. And Shiva wants to do it all at the same time. And I tried to, and I couldn't. (laughs) So then it's like, all right, pick one thing every year and really work on doing that better. Right. Mm. So year one was changing my concept of time. So slowing down, creating more time, my famous out of office email, Um, always speaking back to false sense of urgency, telling my clients, um, I can't get this done within a 24 hour thing. I can do it in a week from now. Right. So having the courage to to set those boundaries, because it takes time. Like if you are trying to do, create any change inside of yourself, it is not a short-term thing. It is a long-term thing. So you got to give yourself the space and time to to practice it, to strengthen that muscle and slowly get over the fear of it. Mm. And then when you feel comfortable in that, then you take on something else. So after the concept of time, anti-racism became something that was was always, always something very important to me, but it felt so overwhelming. So I'm like, okay, this is the next thing I'm going to tackle is not the word, but the next thing I'm going to, I'm going to start being really, really intentional about in my work fucking terrifying, right? The first time I used the word white supremacy, I almost shat myself. I'm like, oh my God, the world <laughs> is going to come at me. I um, under, I know that feeling. It's like, it's fucking scary to say it. And then once you say it, you're like, oh yeah, white supremacy is all over the place. Exactly. Exactly. And then it just becomes something normal in your vocabulary. And the yeah. fear goes away because you start realizing 
there's a whole other world of people who agree with you and the world is changing and you just get used to those other ways of being. So changing the ways that we're showing up in the world, the ways that we are thinking our deep belief systems, it's not a quick thing. It takes time. So take your time step-by-step and just don't give up. Don't overwhelm yourself one step at a time and do not give up. Mm, I love that. So if, well, two things, because while you were talking about like all of this, and then also just the conversation that we had before this answer question, what happens? So I think I'm quite emotional Pisces. Yay. So I will cry watching like TikTok videos. I cry watching like the X factor and like somebody sings their heart out. And I'm just like over here sobbing. And Mario, um, he looks at me at first. He was like, are you okay? Is everything okay? And now that I've done it so often, he's like, oh, you're doing it again. Um, so something that we were talking about with ancestry, um, and like really thinking about future generations and all of this stuff, Um, the thought that came to me was how vulnerable it is to admit that you care so much. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It's like, okay, how can I describe this? Because yes, when I think about ancestry, um, it's like the impact that I make and stuff. But then I think the other side of it, at least for me, is this idea of, oh, I'm like really opening myself up because I really care and I'm putting myself in positions where somebody's going to be like, you're a little snowflake or you care too much. Like it's not that big of a deal. And then I'm thinking, wow, imagine all the people I could connect with or all the conversations I could have. And then I'm thinking, oh my gosh, like something that I do today could really affect somebody tomorrow. And funnily enough, like we Mario and I saw an old, old, old friend from when we lived in the south of Spain. And that was seven years ago. She was in Toledo for like a day, literally, not even a full day. It was like a day trip from Segovia. Uh, But she's from New Zealand. And she made an effort to come and like connect with us and then ask us like, hey, are you free for lunch? Like, I really want to see you all. We haven't seen each other in so long. And then during lunch, she was like, you know, Seven years ago, like you all let me stay in your house for a week for for free because I had no idea what the heck I was doing in Spain. It was my first year. I didn't know anything. And she was like, I always think about you too uh, whenever I go traveling. And I was like, the fuck? That was seven years ago. And then Mario was like, oh, I forgot. I didn't even know that you stayed in your house. Are you sure? And she was like, yeah, you let me stay for like a week. Like you took me to the grocery store. You told me like how to do things here. You helped me like move and find an apartment. Um, and she was like, I think about that all the time. And I'm like, oh, the fact that you think about it all the time and it's like still a core memory for you. That's wild. And so like, that's like the vulnerability piece that I'm talking about. I don't know if now I feel like I'm rambling, but does that make sense? Do you know what I'm talking about? I think there's a lot in there. So okay, sure sorry. It's like, <laughs> No, 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 no. Okay, hold on. A question about what is what's the vulnerability part about that of like someone holding on to a memory for for years or something being really important to somebody? I guess it's like when you're thinking about ancestry, is it I guess for you being vulnerable or opening yourself up to really care and like really mm. wear your heart on your sleeve because now it's like, oh, I'm really thinking about really being intentional about the impact that I make or the ripple effect that my actions, thoughts, um, whatever 
can make on other people. And when I think you're opening yourself up to that, it like, I don't know. I feel like the vibration, once you do it, it's like the vibration kind of ripples back to you because it's like shocking about how how much mm-hmm. like feelings you are almost opening yourself up to either taking on other people's stuff or not, or feeling sadness or not, or whatever it is. I don't know. I feel like, yeah, that was a very complicated. I don't think it was complicated. I I liked it because it, it, it's it wasn't just looking at one little part of it. It was looking at the bigger picture of it. So the feeling thing, I think we've talked about this before of like, why are people so afraid to feel? Ooh, so yes. that's, I flip it that way. It's like, what's what's the problem with feeling? Yes, I I understand that we can get hurt, but we can also live so much, so much more. And when people have always said that I'm too emotional, my freaking family all my life has made Mm. fun of me. Like before the term snowflake was a thing, my parents were making fun of me for being emotional about everything, making fun, criticizing. And at some point I started to think, why is it that I'm too emotional? Maybe they're not emotional enough. Mm. Maybe they're not feeling enough. And I get that because it's within the bucket of emotions is pain. Yeah. Right. Is fear. It's anger. But I'd rather feel all of those things than feel dead inside. Mm. And this is probably not the nicest thing to say and probably very judgmental. But I look around me and I see folks who don't care, who have given up. Um, and in some ways, they lead really happy lives, right? Yeah. Like the ignorance is- Sometimes I think about that too. And I'm like, hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The ignorance is bliss. Yes, I can see that. And recently, recently-ish, like a few months ago, um, a friend of mine was visiting Spain with one of her friends and they started to, to, to cry, getting very emotional just because like, again, seeing all the, the systems around us, seeing all the things, knowing the impact that we have and feeling almost hopeless and helpless and powerless about it. And then their, their friend said, yeah, but isn't it so much better to know than to not know? And both of us at the same time said, no, it's not better to know. <laughs> Because it's so fucking hard. It's so painful. And at the same time, like, I I think, do I really, would I really, really be happier not knowing? Maybe in some ways I would be. But I think I would also get to my deathbed and regret not having done anything, regret not having cared enough, regret not giving enough shit. Mm, Right? Yeah. Because I think... And I think there's really a dissonance that goes on when we try to to clamp that down. I look at somebody in my life, I'm like, I was about to name them. I'm like, no, don't name them. Who went from working in an industry where it was direct service to people mm. and is now a programmer. And they're like, they loved it. It was an intentional decision that they made. Um, they love the problem solving of programming. And, but at one point they're just like... So a friend of mine is starting their own restaurant or like opening up another restaurant. And I realized the rent is really cheap to do that. And that's what they worked in before they were a chef. And they were like, I have been thinking nonstop about this, about maybe I want to go back to that Mm -hmm. because as much as I enjoy the programming and the company I work for is small company, really, I really like his company. Damn it. I said that the I gave one marker of identity. Uh, and if you know me, you know who I'm talking about. Yeah. No, but they were like, I, 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 you know, I really love my company, but at the end of the day, I mean, our clients, it's just helping rich people get richer mm. and I'm not really helping the average person. Yeah. Um, and I, and I looked at them and I was like, finally, that's the person I know. 
Yeah. That's, that's where, where have you been hiding? Cause, and, and that for me goes back to that, that dissonance, that cognitive dissonance of, yeah, ignorance might be bliss. It's, it, it's terrifying to be vulnerable, but I think there's actually a deeper anxiety and anger and frustration that can live inside of us if we ignore that. Mm. And it eventually it eats up inside of us. And a lot of folks want to pretend that they don't care and be purely individualist. But I think we've seen where that goes. That goes to loneliness, that goes to isolation, that goes to growing old, deeply unhappy, even mm. though you might be surrounded with your own stuff and surrounded with your own wealth but you don't have community, you don't have deep connections, you don't have deep relationships. So as scary as feeling might be, and I know it's not so clear necessarily, like the the feeling about future generations and about um, community and, and ancestry, it may not seem so directly clear to what I'm saying, but it's all connected, Yeah. right? Choosing to feel or choosing not to feel, there's pros and cons to both. For me, the choosing to feel, no matter how much pain comes with it, at the end of the day, it's much, much more worth it because I've lived that cognitive dissonance and it killed my soul. Yeah. And this is now me ranting, but you're talking about being like emotional, like watching things and getting emotional right yeah. before this call. I had to, I was like, I'm going to be five minutes yeah. late because I'm having, I'm having an emotional Ted Lasso moment. <laughs> Fucking, I love Ted Lasso so much. And, and in one of the episodes, one of the main characters was like, what's that thing where you know, a person with a penis can't get it up. And the other person's like impotent. And like, yeah, yeah, I'm feeling that, but but with my soul, Ooh. right? <laughs> and the not feeling eventually over time, that's what that is for me. Impotence <laughs> of the soul. <laughs> okay, so I've only seen Ted Lasso clips on TikTok. I've never Ooh. actually watched it, but I know a lot of people are like, Ted Lasso is so good. I'll have to check that out. <laughs> mm-hmm. So... I want to get into uh, wisdoms because I feel like when, before you were even saying like ancestry and wisdoms go together, uh, you're currently creating an anthology filled with ancestral wisdoms. Can you share where or how you came up with the idea for the ancestral wisdoms anthology? I know that's not like the actual name of the book yet, but we're calling it ancestral wisdoms anthology. So where did you come up with the idea? And then can you describe what an ancestral wisdom actually is, because I feel like there might be people who are like, okay. Yes. Yes. Um, so before that, I also want to say that it's, it's not a me project. So it's, it's a co-creation with Sada Faruqi and myself and not just Sada Faruqi and myself, but also like every single one of the contributors, you are one of them. Yes. Yes. So it's, it really is a co-created thing. Right. So the story of it is I was laying in bed last summer, maybe I think it was last summer. I think so. Um, yeah. Or like last June. And I was super anxious. I was super nervous. And I noticed that every time I'm feeling that way, something I go back to is laying on the bed with my feet propped up. So just like kind of sitting on an L, my legs completely flat against the wall and the rest of my yeah. body on the bed. And that always calms me down. And for once, I had that moment of like, oh, this is one of those things that I do, but I don't know why I do them, right? Like, this is one of those cultural things and ancestral things that are passed down. At that moment, I didn't think it was an ancestral thing. I was just like, it's a cultural thing that's passed down. I thought, mm-hmm. why do I do this, right? And I thought, my mother always did this. Like, whenever she was feeling anxious or nervous or just not okay or tired or whatever, she would always, always do this. And I learned it from her. 
And then I start to Google, like, what are the benefits of this? Like, why do people do that? Is this a thing? Right. And then I start to read about, oh, it is a thing. It calms down your nervous system and all these other things and start to read about like the history of it, which I don't remember the history of it, but like different cultures that do it and so on. And I think the word ancestral wisdom, the term just kind of like surfaced in my my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and this happens a lot, like things just kind of like come, come up and I'm like, oh, where did this term come from? All right. And I think, no, I, th- I know where it came from. So around that time, I was following a lot of um, indigenous creators on, t- on, not on TikTok, on Instagram and, you know, sharing their, their ancestral ways of being and doing and seeing, which is ancestral wisdoms. And always kind of like, in the back of my mind, having a longing of like, oh, I wish, I wish I had that. I mean, mm-hmm. that there's, you know, they, they had to hold on to that because they were trying to be uh, eradicated from the fucking planet. But there was a, a longing inside of me as well. And then I thought that's where the, I think that's where that term ancestral wisdom came from. Um, and I thought, but is this ancestral wisdom? Is it like, what is this thing? So I started to then think about well, what are some other ways of being and doing and seeing and just actual wisdoms that my 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 family had passed down to me? Like, what did I notice my parents doing? I started to think of some things like the way that we eat. There's always a balance in our diet. We call it garmi sadi, hot and cold. And it's not like physical hot and cold, but it's basically things like if you're going to have um, a, a dish with a lot of beans in it, you put a lot of turmeric in it because turmeric is an anti-inflammatory But I didn't know these things, right? Like we don't say this is why we do it, but our recipes are just that way, right? And I'm like, that's an ancestral wisdom. So I started to think for myself, what what are, again, what are some other things? And I thought of some, and I thought this would be a great article to to write about. And I thought this would be a great book to write about because I started to Google and I'm like, Mm. I'm not seeing much about this, right? There are some things out there and we are definitely not the first ones to, to, to do something on ancestral wisdoms. But I couldn't really find anything on Iranian ancestral wisdoms, even Mm. specific cultures within Iran. And then I thought, I don't like to do things alone. And why would I highlight my own voice and my own ways of being and doing? So let me make this an anthology. So that's kind of where it came from. And really where it came from was being lost, right? Like from not knowing what the fuck are my ancestral ways, Mm. right? What did we do? And Iran in particular has really given up a lot of its ways because it's tried so hard in the past hundred years to be Western and white. Um, It's really shunned a lot of its own ways. So a lot of that has been lost. And my family in particular has also lost a lot of that. So I felt so disconnected from our ancestral wisdoms. Um, And that's really where it came from. And then that's where the anthology was birthed, a way for the contributors to connect back to their own ancestral ways explore that, interview people in their communities, research, just find their way back home. Mm. And what ancestral wisdom means is any wisdom and a wisdom could be a tool. It could be a recipe, a game, a spell, anything that helps us live happier, healthier, more connected lives in community. Mm. I love that. So again, not about the self, but ultimately about how do we make a happy, healthy community? Yeah. And something that you mentioned about like coming back home, I think is such like a big thing. I mean, that's like what really drew me into the project too, because I was kind of going through something similar where I was thinking, okay, I've been in Spain now for like five years consecutively in total about seven going seven, eight ish. I, there aren't a lot of Vietnamese people 
around. Even when I was in Madrid, I connected with some Vietnamese people, but they were from the North. My family's from the South. So like when I went to go eat, I wanted like home, like, you know, my recipes and I got super excited. And then I was like, this is a little bit different. And I realized it's because we come from different regions. Uh, and then I started thinking about like, oh, my grandparents or I don't know, like great grandparents. And then I even did like a healing session and the healer messaged me after and was like, a short woman came to me in this session. She has olive skin. She's quite like petite and she has like a low bun um, of just like silver gray hair. I just kept thinking, who the heck is that? I have no idea. But she was describing it and I just sat there and I was like, who could she be talking about? And then I realized uh, it was my great grandma from my mom's dad side. And she was the only, I think, great grandma that I actually met. She came over to the US. My mom actually came with her when my mom was 14. And I don't know how old my great grandma was, but they came over to the US first by themselves. So it was my mom, one of my mom's brothers, so my uncle, and then her. And then when I was born, she was still alive. And so she had, I mean, I was there, I guess there are pictures of me and her together for like maybe a year or two. And then she passed. But just thinking about that, I was like, I don't know anything. Do I even know like my real great grandma's name, except for what we would call her in yes. Vietnamese? Because yes. I, I would call her, I think it's Bacol, how we would say it in Vietnamese. But I, that could also be wrong because we have different names for different great grandparents on specific sides. Um, yep. So I was like, I don't know her real name. I only know what I would call her. And then I thought about, okay, do I, do I know my grandparents, like my regular my regular grandparents' yes. names. So, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I do. Thank goodness. I know that. Um, but yeah, it's just like, uh, I don't know. I, I love the project. I love the idea of coming home to all of that too. Here's another idea. Because uh, same, I don't I don't actually know my grandparents' names. I don't. My parents have told them to me several times because I've asked, but I always forget because we didn't call them by their names. Their names, right? Yeah. We called them by their nickname. And we call them like similar to you, you know, a name for grandmother, great grandmother, depending on which side of the family it comes from. And I think that's also ancestral wisdom mm. in the sense of we speak about people in terms of our interconnection with them. Our language has that embedded into it, right? So it is my grandmother from my father's side, my yeah. grandmother from my mother's side. It's not about only about them as individuals. It's also about the connection that we have in the community with each other. And I think that itself is also a thing of ancestral wisdom. And here's another layer of it. So much of our ancestral wisdoms are hard for us to discover for us, the ones who are who are living in the global minority in, in North America or in Europe, um, or who were raised in North America or Europe, because we're, we're trying to understand our ancestries of the global majority through the lens of the global minority. Mm. And so for things like that of like, do I know their name? And then thinking, did I need to know their name? Yeah. Right. Is, is, and I, and I don't know, right. I don't know the power of names in, in Iranian culture, for example, but I do know that it is very much a collectivist culture and tribe related and, and the interconnection and what is our relationship. And that is more important than what your name is. Mm. 
it's messy, right? Like, I don't know the answer. I'm just asking the questions. Yeah. Um, because so much of it, I realized I'm still trying to understand my own ancestral wisdoms um, through the lens of, of the West, mm. the West, the West in air quotes. <laughs> Actually, that takes me to the, the next question that I wanted to ask about wisdoms. So one of your LinkedIn articles shares that we aren't unique that we're just products of systems and our surroundings. So when we're trying, like what you were saying, when we're trying to figure out what our ancestral wisdoms could be, but for all the folks who are from the global majority who live in the quote unquote West, we look at it through the lens of what the West could or what the West is. What does that mean for the wisdoms that we live and abide by? Because I feel like I probably picked up wisdoms from the West first. Mm -hmm. And then any wisdom that could have come from like my parents or from Vietnam and kind of like brushed it off to the side because I wanted to be white. Really? Um, Oh, yes. So what does that mean then, I guess, for others who feel like, yeah, I'm super unique. I mean, yes, we're all like special, one unique individual, all have our stories and experiences and nobody can take that away, but we are products, I believe as well. So Mm -hmm. how does that relate back to the wisdoms that we live and abide by? Because we could be following wisdoms that are actually almost harmful. If wisdoms can be harmful. Yes. When that's the thing, like, I don't know if I would call it wisdoms. Mm. Okay. What would you call them? (sighs) Rules. That's a good question. (laughs) Rules. Yeah. Um, I mean, some of it, yeah, could be wisdoms. But cultures like Italy and Spain, I do think that they have some of that they've held on more to their wisdoms than in the United States. It's just too much of a mix. But certain things like a lot of what we consider wisdoms from the global minority were really just tools to separate Europeans Mm -hmm. and make them seem superior. So, for example, do we need to eat three times a day? Why don't we just eat when we're hungry? Yeah. Right. And we look for research to prove our their ideas right. But many, many cultures around the world don't eat three times a day. That's not necessary, right? And a lot, there's you know, stuff coming out about how that was just also a way for European colonizers to separate themselves from indigenous cultures and make mm. themselves seem superior. Um, so I think we really need to question a lot of the things that we take for granted as wisdom, as science as fact because everywhere around the world there's a whole other set of wisdoms and science and fact yeah right so which ones are we elevating and saying is the right one the best one that alone is problematic and those of us who are living in the global minority we have taken on a lot of that without realizing and that's where we've become products everywhere we're products right it's not just the global minority absolutely not we are all products of the societies that we lived in So that connects back to the idea of we're not unique as much as we like to think we are, which I find very entertaining in individuals' cultures where they're like, I am my own unique self. I'm like, yes, you are exactly the same as everybody else who says that. How unique is that, really? And we can't help it, right? Systems are designed for a specific intended outcome, and we are that outcome. Um, So for those things were kind of two separate questions for me. We are all all products of systems. Um, And the other part is that... uh, what we think of as wisdom, especially in cultures that have been recent oppressors, I question that. Mm-hmm. And yo, know, that also means like in Iran, I I, I am a Persian. So Iran has many different ethnic groups. Persian is one of them. And it's uh, 
it's the the oppressive one, right? It yeah. is the the ethnic group that has been the oppressor. So I also have to question a lot of the wisdoms that uh, that come from from my Persian culture. But again, for me, then that's not a wisdom because a wisdom is a way that helps us, something that helps us live happier, healthier lives in community. Mm. Right. So something yeah. that oppresses others is not a wisdom for me. Mm. Okay. I like that differentiation because I think sometimes we are drinking the Kool-Aid quite a bit and what we could consider as wisdoms, we might just need to question some more. So what is one ancestral wisdom that you use to guide your work and how you live out life? Real wisdom, not like this fake uh, status quo, live by the rule shit. It's one that I think has always been in me and I fought against because of the the Kool-Aid and the programming, specifically of the United States. And that that's that the collective is is always more powerful and more important than the individual. Mm. Hey, mind you, I still do believe in like having your own, having your own boundaries, like understanding what's important for you, not letting yourself, not losing yourself because of the collective, right? Yeah. But collectivism, the concept of it and the concept that we nothing ever has been done by a single person. One person cannot change the world. Not possible. It is done in community. Yeah. So I think that's the the really been a guiding factor and one that I've struggled to, to come to because I wanted the attention. I wanted to be in the limelight. I wanted to be the star. My ego is really fucking big and fragile. And uh, living in community and and living in a collective really kind of smacks that out of you. Um, and activism as well. And, and Adrian Marie Brown talks about this in Emergent Strategy about having like the rock star activists where that doesn't work, right? No individual can save everybody. Yeah. Right? We all have to help each other save ourselves and work together to collectively save. Change has to be done as a group. It comes into my work in many ways. I pull in as many people as possible in all the work that I do. If I get a project, if I can share the work, I share the work. I pull in from the wisdom of many people. And I always, always, always attribute that wisdom clearly and say who it comes from. I stop talking about personal power in the Mm. leadership work I do. It's a lot about community power, collective power, the anthology itself, right? My immediate thought was, why the fuck am I going to do this alone? No, this is not an individual thing to do. This has to be done in collective and community. So I think that is the one wisdom that has really been with me all my life that I was also starved of for many, many years growing up in a very, very individualist culture and something that I am constantly looking for and and trying to bring in and embrace every day. Mm, I love that. I think I've also learned, one, actually living here in Spain, um, to be more communal. I come from, like my family is from Vietnam and we are collectivist I believe at home, like inside closed doors of the house. And then when we leave, um, I take on like an individualist outlook. And then when I came here to Spain, I think it's changing a little bit now. It's a little bit more individualist. But when I first arrived, it was quite collectivist and very community oriented. It was just like, you know, you do things for the people, like you work together, like you come together so that you can all benefit And to me, that was a little bit strange, especially coming from the United States and capitalism. Uh, I was just like, no, 
why do that? Like we move so slow. Uh, We're not getting anything done. And I had to kind of like rewire my brain around that. But I want to get into culture and leadership because I feel like this is a really great segue into it. I love talking about this with you. I feel like whenever we talk about this, I'm like, this is so interesting. What is, I guess, for you, the biggest misconception of culture and leadership? And I have like a two-pronged thing to this. What is it in like a tangible, tactical way, like the misconception? And then also, I like to always kind of view things from the emotional, spiritual, mental, because yes, when we think about tangible, tactical, these are like things that maybe people can fully, you know, oh, I'm going to change this in the program. But there's also the emotional, spiritual, mental side of everything. So what is the biggest misconception of culture and leadership from a tangible, tactical point of view, and then also from an emotional, spiritual, mental point of view? So you mean culture and leadership like intertwined or separate things? Um, Let's do separate. Okay. So the biggest misconception of culture, uh, oh, of culture. Interesting, because I'm usually... Used to people asking me about cultural intelligence, not just of culture. Um, oh, well, we could do cultural intelligence. Both. We can do both. Okay. I, and I think this is changing. So when I used to ask folks, what is culture? Uh, like 10 years ago, the answer, the immediate answers were the, what I call superficial things like um, art, literature, dress, food, mm. architecture, things like that. Whereas culture is, that's just like 10% of culture. Culture is so much deeper than that. It is our in general, the ways of being, doing, and seeing our paradigms, right? The mental models that we have, what we think of as right and wrong and good and bad. Um, Everything down, even down to what our definition of sanity is and insanity. Mm -hmm. Those are cultural, right? It looks different in different cultures. What is healthy? What is not healthy? Um, Just even the fact of dividing things into is or isn't and binary, that's a cultural thing, right? It is we, th- we think that culture is something really tangible, but it's actually completely intangible. Mm-hmm. And this is a story I always, and you've heard this one before, like the story of the fish, right? Like there's two little fish swimming in the sea and there's an, an older fish swimming by them. And the older fish swims by and says, hey, kiddos, how's the water today? And the one little fish looks at the other one and goes, weird old fish. And then when the old fish goes away, the other, fi- the other little fish looks at the other one and goes, what the hell is water, Right. And water is culture. Yeah, It's something we're surrounded by. We are born into it. We breathe it and live it every single day. And because of that, we don't actually know our own fucking culture, right? Mm. That's why we need to leave our cultures to be able to understand our own cultures. We need to interact with others to even understand what our own cultures are. Um, so I think that's the biggest misconception of culture. It, it's just what it actually is. Mm. And it is programmed, pro- programming, and it is a system, right? Our because based on our cultures, we create laws and those laws also then impact our culture and it becomes a, a cyclical thing. And then cultural intelligence, the misconception of that is that it's about understanding other cultures. And it's you can't fucking understand another culture. You have to understand your own culture, right? The work of cultural understa- intelligence is understanding your paradigms, the lens through which you see the world, the system that you have been raised in, what you have thought to, what you have been raised to think the world is, right? And understanding that that is just unique to your culture, right? The way that you think the world is, someone in a different country does not think the same way, Mm -hmm. right? And you're never going to fully understand how they think, how they see the world. You have to understand your own 
So that's the misconception of cultural intelligence. And it's fucking frustrating as hell. I have a client right now who's like, we want to do this whole program on helping them work better with other cultures. And can you teach the culture codes so they can understand other cultures? It's like, no, no, that is not what cultural intelligence is. And I will not be teaching cultural codes. Mm. And then leadership, leadership. <laughs> oh gosh, let's get into it. <sighs> the there isn't just one misconception about leadership. There are many, many fucking many. Um, I think the most frustrating ones is that more than misconception, it's a, a like willful ignorance. People don't want to talk about the connection of leadership and power. Mm. And they really, they, and I say they, again, this is in the context specifically of Europe and North America, right? Leadership is seen more as hierarchy. And I they love so much to like shit on other cultures and say, well, in this other culture, uh, they're much, they're very hierarchical and we're much more flat structure. I'm like, no, you're fucking not. Because at the end of the day, power is concentrated in the hands of a very few people, mm. right? So the hidden ideas and core of leadership is for many people just power and power over others. Mm. Mind you, they love to say that, and th- then this there's the other side of it, which is this other idea that leadership is just like building empowered teams and giving your team a voice and and Fazin uh, Fazin Fazad, who's what one of my favorite humans in the world, he mentioned this on his LinkedIn a while ago, where you can't empower your teams unless you actually give them power. Yeah. Like you have to give them decision making power, right? Empowering is bullshit unless you give them fucking power, right? So I think that's another misconception of leadership that to be a leader is someone who brings the best out of people, empowers them, builds psychological safety. And yeah, all that stuff is great, but we are fooling ourselves if we think we're actually doing that in the systems that we have right now. Mm. So for me, leadership is someone who is able to take a step back, not just see their own little world, not only see their own team, not see only their department, take a step back, see the bigger picture of everything, see the interconnected systems that we live in, understand how the way that you show up in your team impacts those those people around you for generations to come, how it impacts the department, how your department impacts the business, how the business impacts the community that you live in, how that community um, interacts with the world around it. A leader is someone who's able to see the systems that are in play Mm -hmm. and then understand how, where and how things are fucked up in that system and start changing it. Mm -hmm. That's a leader for me. And that's something that's part of the misconception because leaders don't think, think that's what leadership is. Yeah. Most people don't think of that when they think of leadership, they think of power, they think of authority, they think of being able to build and develop their own people. And it's like, Ooh, oof. We're leaving a lot of collective power on the table. Yeah. Mm, I remember when we first started working together and we were talking about leadership. And I think a lot of the things that we saw that people really gravitated towards was like, am I a direct communicator, an indirect communicator? And what do I need to learn to be a better leader? And we joke about it all the time. We were like, oh, that's that's like not even getting into leadership. That's like super surface level. And I was just talking to um, a couple of friends about like social media and like content and marketing. And it's like when somebody asks me, well, um, how many hashtags do you think I should put in this post? And I'm like, oh, I mean, yes, important, but also, dude, that's not even like, 
that's not even what we should be talking about. But thank you for sharing that and for sharing the misconceptions and also explaining. Yeah, go ahead, Stephen. One thing about that is I think the reason people like to focus on things like how many hashtags, right? Or like, what is this one skill that I can develop that will make me a kick-ass leader is because we all want to feel in control. Hmm. And I get that. And when you think of leadership within the the lenses of power and systems and harm, right? And also positive changes that we can make. It's overwhelming. It's scary. And you feel this fucking small in this massive thing. And you're like, I can't do anything then. Yeah. Right. Because one of the, the issues with the system and systems thinking is like, well, where do I put the boundaries? And the boundaries are are endless, right? Like you can, they could be as big as you fucking want them to be. So, and I think that's what scares people. They have, they, they without being able to verbalize it, they already think, oh, big and scary. Mm -mm. So I'm just going to focus on the tiny little tangible things that I can control directly. Mm. Right. And that goes back to that. My friend who wouldn't quit her job and and just look for a new one because that fear of the free fall. Yeah. Oh, we are going full circle, y'all. I mean, even when you were describing that was like, wait, didn't we just talk about this when we were talking about ancestry and like just the very real fact of opening yourself up to feeling and then once you open yourself up to feeling, you kind of realize, oh, I have a lot more responsibility as a human or yes. what you were saying about duty and just like the impact within the generations of your ancestry that you leave. Oh, I love this. I love a full circle moment. So, okay. So after now understanding what culture or misconceptions of culture and leadership and knowing what your definition of culture and leadership is previously in your work. And I think still now uh, that you share you share that you help leaders to be less of an asshole, and I love that. Um, and in one of uh, the podcast conversations for season two, I was just talking to um, Iko, who is a mindfulness teacher, and we were talking about being an asshole and just the duality of yeah, I'm an asshole and I can do something about it, or mm -hmm. I am an asshole, but. Or, and I also protected myself by setting boundaries. So if somebody thinks I'm an asshole, I'm the asshole. But um, what does being an asshole mean to you? Like, how are you an asshole? And is everyone an asshole at some point? Or are we not assholes if we are, quote unquote, doing the work? Oh, we're all assholes. Please. Okay. <laughs> we're all assholes. I love it. That's kind of what me and yes. I go came up with as well. Yes. Yeah, there's no, you can't, you can't escape it. We're all fucking assholes. At some point or another, we are. Intentionally and also more often than not unintentionally. Yeah. You know, I think my definition of assholes is changed a bit. So originally it was anyone who is, is not willing to be self-aware, mm. right? Or not willing to look at their own shit. And I think that that's changed only because I see so many people doing the work and saying that they aren't doing the work, but then really really respond to, to, to critique and criticism pushback. They, they don't respond well to it, mm. right? They get very defensive instead of going, wait, what, <laughs> what's what are you trying to say? Hold on. Let me explore that a bit. So I'll give you an example of when I would have normally been an asshole and I chose consciously not to be Farzine Farzad, the, the person I mentioned before, I found him on LinkedIn. I don't know how through one of my many rabbit holes and he started to post stuff, making fun of leadership work. Mm. Right. And that's a lot of my work. And I was so triggered by this shit. I'm like, this guy is shitting on everything that I do. Oh my fucking God. And like, I really liked his other stuff. Um, 
And so I, I sat there with myself and went, okay, okay. She even would normally just be like, well, fuck this. I believe I really liked the stuff that he said before, but he's saying things that I don't agree with now. And so I'm just going to dismiss him. That would have been an asshole thing to do. Mm. Instead, I read and reread and reread the same fucking posts over and over again, and then read all the comments of it and trying to understand it. And then like taking an honest look at how I might be perpetuating shitty things without realizing it. Hmm. And then I started to ask questions on his posts, getting curious, be like, okay, Fazine, you, when you said this, did you mean this? Like I'm asking not to question, like not to push back, but just generally trying to understand it in my own head. Yeah. And he wrote back, super kind and like, yes, this is what I mean because of X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, mm, fuck me. Okay. This is how choosing to not be an asshole looks like when you see that you see something that you don't like and you question yourself and think, why is it that I don't like it? Could be for very legitimate reasons, right? Could be something really doesn't sit well because it just smells like oppression, right? Something's mm-hmm. not okay in that. Or is it because it is touching your ego? Because it is poking at something that you don't want to look at. And then choosing to not be an asshole is saying, let me look at it. Mm. Let me sit with this. Let me ruminate on it. Let me lay down on my bed, stare at my ceiling, think back of why am I getting triggered about this? What is it about this that's triggering me and being really, really honest about it? And then through that, I was able to reach out to him privately and ask if he would be my mentor, right? Like, can I do paid mentorship and learn from you? Because I'm realizing there's still stuff that I don't understand and I'm getting triggered about, but I want to understand. Hmm. So that's a moment of choosing not to be an asshole. Yeah. Then there's other moments <laughs> where I dive straight into being an asshole. <laughs> so just, we're all assholes, right? And, and uh, just like we're all racist and we're all capitalist because that's the system that we live in. I don't know if assholeness is a system, but <laughs> we <Could> you imagine. <laughs> <laughs> But we're we're all at some point or another choosing not to look at ourselves and choosing to ignore the ways in which we are harming others. We are putting others down. We are ignoring others, excluding others. We're choosing to ignore those things. We're choosing mm-hmm. to ignore the overly hard lines and boundaries that we have put. Like you talked about boundaries, for example, right? Something I've been yeah. thinking about a lot is we like to say that I'm you know, I have to put boundaries for my mental health. And people say this about my, my family all the time. Like I, I really have issues with my, with my, with my parents. And like, there's moments where I just have to stop talking to them because it just gets too much. And folks have always like, but you need that for your mental health. And like, now I'm starting to question that. Hmm. Cause there's always been something that did not sit well with me about that. And I'm like, and is it because of my mental health or is it purely because of my own comfort? Mm. Am I just putting my comfort above their needs? Mm. And is that an asshole thing to do? And I think it is, right? So it's it's messy. Again, we're all assholes and we're going to be assholes. And a lot of it is that intentionality and that reflection. Um, and uh, going back to that vulnerability, right? Because it fucking hurts. It hurts when you realize you are hurting other people. Yeah. I was just thinking about what you were saying. Like, I mean, we're going to be assholes regardless. I know I am an asshole uh, in very many different areas of my life and I'm always learning. And then I think the one thing for me is I just hope that I've cultivated like deep 
enough relationships. So somebody could tell me that I'm being an asshole, even though like, you know, it's not their job to, but um, at least it'd be like, Hey, what you just said or did was assholey and hurt me. And instead of like fully cutting me off, uh, which if somebody needs to, okay, then that is what it is. But I hope to cultivate deep enough relationships where somebody cares enough and it's fucking terrifying to be like, Hey, as a friend, I mean, as a friend, it's scary to be like, Hey, you hurt me. And for me to come to that relationship again and be like, Oh, I'm sorry. Let me think about it. Let me see what I did so then I can fix it for the future. That's what I would love. It's a work in progress because like you said, like we were saying in the beginning of the conversation, like it's a lot of vulnerability and opening myself up to feeling because one thing, I mean, friendships, we could talk about this on a different podcast episode. I think that would have to be its own other thing. Uh, We're so used to doing this with like maybe family or like our significant others or our partners, but like we don't necessarily have that like deep relationship with friends. Maybe some people do. I don't think I've ever had that growing up. Um, it was always like, oh, I'm going to cut you off or, oh, we just like, you know, drifted apart and whatever. Um, but I would really, now that I'm older, I would really love to have friends that like, you know, we can come to each other and maybe call each other out, call each other in, tell each other that we're being assholes. And instead of it completely ruining the relationship where we walk on eggshells around each other, it actually deepens like mm-hmm. our relationship. And we have like that mutual respect for each other. We have like the intentions to show up and stuff. Those are just my thoughts, but um, yeah. Anyways, um, so before we wrap up, I know that I was like, I still want to talk about so many other things, but we have, you know, time. Um, so before we wrap up the conversation, I feel like one, for all the people who are listening, if you get me and Shiva together and order us 12, 15, I don't know how many churros it was at midnight, <laughs> we'll talk until four o'clock in the fucking morning. Um, yep. But this podcast cannot be until four o'clock in the in the morning. So before I get to the ending, ending questions, I have one more question for you. Uh, what is a nuanced conversation that you think that we're not having enough of? So many. Um, <laughs> there are so, so many. I mean, I think there's obvious ones around racism, white supremacy, capitalism, et cetera. But one that is that I really don't see us talking about is family. And things like what I said before uh, is, uh, you know, the boundaries I put with my family, is it because of to protect my own mental health or is it because I'm putting my, my own comfort over their, their needs. Mm -hmm. And I think especially for our age, when we get in, well, you're younger than me, but we get into, when we get into our forties or more like when our parents are getting into their late sixties, seventies, eighties, I don't see people talking about that about how hard that is Mm. Uh, seeing, you know, your, your parents for many folks, myself included deteriorate, right? Not just physically, but mentally and Mm. not in terms of dementia, Alzheimer's, knock on wood, not yet. Um, But the paranoia, the loneliness, the isolation, the, and, and when I talk about this with, with friends, I realize, okay, I'm definitely not alone. Yeah. There's a lot of folks whose parents are the same, who don't leave the house, don't have friends, just sit at home all day in front of the television, get sucked into the bullshit of Facebook and all this stuff. And and I think that's something we don't talk about. We we forget our elders. Mm-hmm. And this is, again, very specifically for 
North America and Europe. Um, although I know Southern Europe loves to say that, but we don't. We're we're still close to our our parents. And yes, and they, they I think they are more than than other other um, cultures in in Europe and North America for sure. But I'd say as a whole in North America and Europe, um, it is a conversation that we need to be having more of and being more mindful of. It's we really when folks get into that age, they become invisible. Yeah. And I stay up at night terrified. One for my parents, like this is something I've had to admit to myself, but it feels like at least one of my parents is just slowly waiting to die. Hmm. Right. And they're, they're not that old. They're 74. They could do things differently still. They just choose not to, they choose to wallow. And it's really, really hard, no matter how much I've tried it's like the only thing I can do is just support them in their wallowing um, yeah. and, and just kind of swimming in their isolation and their loneliness. And when I ask how they're doing, they're like, you know, how, how is your day? It doesn't matter. Every day is the same. They're all mm-hmm. blending together, you know, and that's really fucking hard. Yeah. And this is where I become that cold bitch and I do close myself off. That one is too hard for me. Mm-hmm. And I know I will regret it. And at the same time, I'm constantly thinking about, how the fuck do we not get to that for ourselves? Yeah. And I, I think the answer is community. So this is also thinking long-term, right? I think our parents, especially of you know immigrants, I don't even know because I'm seeing it everywhere. They thought so much just about making a life and making life for their children. They didn't think so much for their own future and how that's going to look like to get old. Yeah. Um, and it's something that we're not looking at either. And so many people have, my generation are like, I'm just going to work until I'm dead. Like, yeah. okay, sure. But can we do this in community? Mm. Oh, I love that. And also lots of things to consider. Also thinking about, I mean, I'm not here with my family. They're back in the United States. Um, and my parents are also getting old. And sometimes I'm thinking, well, what is going to happen? And we have a like an okay relationship. But similar to you, I'm thinking... Mm, how much, how many boundaries or how much of my boundaries are almost closing me off because it's like too painful to approach these conversations with you. And yes, they, it has to be both ways, right? Like it's not just me always pulling. Um, I can't, but when will it shift? When will it be both of us working together? And I don't know. Yeah. Hmm. I mm, that's I what that. I've gotten to with my parents. I don't think we'll get there. Yeah. And that's like a very real is... reality. I mean, like it is definitely a nuanced conversation that I don't think we're having enough of and a conversation that maybe we're not even having in general. Because uh, like what you were saying, once you get older, it's almost like you're invisible and I can see it. it it's very real. I mean, they're, in Spain, there are quite a lot of elderly folks. Um, so maybe it is a little bit more a part of the conversation here, but I know back in the United States, like once you hit a certain age, it's like, oh, nothing. Yeah. Spain, I do like I I think one of the things that keeps me here is that it does feel like a better place to get old. Like you still see people yeah. in their 80s going around. Like I know oh, they are was 83. Life. Seriously. She was wearing life. her heels yes. every day at four o'clock. She went down and had a gin and tonic with her friends. Yep. 83 fucking years old. Yep. You know? And this is yep. not unusual. Yep. So it's it's a different way. It's a different concept of getting old. But that is, I also see more for the women than for the men. Mm. 
that's true. I remember when I first got here, I was like, I, I think my dad was with me and I looked at him and I was like, dad, I think I'm going to become a Spanish grandma. I don't know if I want children, so I don't know how I would be a, a grandma, but if we go back to ancestry, yes. I could be a grandma still. Um, and in the middle exactly. of the day, they were like all cute, dressed up and, and their hair perfect with their makeup and their pearls. And they went to go oh, get yes, churros yes. or they went to go get their gin tonic. And I'm like, at 80 years old, you're drinking a gin tonic. Oh yep. my gosh. I can't even drink yep. a gin tonic and I'm 30. Uh-huh. <laughs> same, same, same. I love that. Um, okay. So before we wrap up final, final question, uh, I love ending each episode with a journaling prompt, exploratory question or an activity for people. Do you have one related to either the topics that we covered in this episode, ancestry, wisdoms, or culture and leadership, or something else that you can share with people? Sure. So there's a journaling prompt that we use for the anthology. And I believe, so I don't know if Sara Faruqi came up with it or Talia Mole. And I don't know if I pronounced Talia's last name correctly there, but it is something around. And I say something around because I'm not going to get the wording just right. Thinking about like look look back and re- remember the ways of being and doing that your your family just had things that you may have taken for granted, and start noticing what could be the wisdom in those things, mm. right? So for example, and you're going to have to do some thinking and like some free flow writing for this stuff to come out because it's stuff that we take for granted, right? Yeah. So it is things like realizing as an adult every single time I cook something with beans I put turmeric in without thinking. And it was only much later in life that I realized, oh, it's because of the anti-inflammatory thing, mm-hmm. right? So you may not even know that there's a wisdom hidden in those things that you took for granted. So just write it down, write down all the things that you took for granted that you you, you, you did as a child or that your family did. And what were the wisdoms in that? And it could also be the rituals that you had that maybe as a kid, you're like, I don't want to do this. But now look back and explore why, why were your... Why was your family and your ancestors doing that? So it's not a clear cut journaling prompt. It's a lot more of a reflection um, that you would free flow right on. I love that though. I will be thinking about that um, because I still have to put together my submission. It's like hard. Um, You all gave me like exploratory questions to like consider to pull in more of like the uh, wisdoms part. And I was like, oh shit. Like I got to sit and like really think about it. Yes. It is a journey. Like we have been so disconnected. We've been so, and intentionally, again, colonialism has cut us off from our fucking roots and it is not easy finding our way back. It really takes that time and sitting with ourselves Yeah, and interviewing our community. Yeah. I was just talking to Mario and we were talking about like recipes that my grandma, because she used to have a catering business in her house when we were younger. Is that legal? I don't know, but that's how she made money. Um, but we were just thinking, oh, next time we see her, maybe we should just spend like a couple of days. I, th- I think my grandma has, I'm pretty sure she has dementia uh, now. So we were like, okay, we have to spend a couple of days with her and see if she would be willing and also able to remember recipes because like that stuff that is lost. And especially now that I'm living away from my family, I don't have that connection to anymore. But anyways, okay. Well, Shiva, thank you so much for joining. Thank you so much for being here. I love all of our conversations. I feel like they could literally go on for mm-hmm. forever. Can you share if there's anything that you're excited about in the upcoming months and where people can reach you? Sure. Well, one, thank you for having me. This has been fun as always. I never know what's going to come up and I never know what's going to come out of my mouth. <laughs> and I love how it is. It's a conversation. Like it's a yeah. genuine conversation. 
So excited, definitely the, the Ancestral Wisdoms Anthology. We have the first draft of the submissions due in September, September of 2023. And uh, I, we have no idea how it's going to go in the sense of like, we're taking every step just as it comes. We're trying to do things very, very differently than anybody else um, that we have seen or how we've experienced in, in writing processes. Um so excited about that, excited for looking for and finding an agent or a publisher who wants to bring this amazing thing to the world with us. And the best way to reach out to me is either on LinkedIn, um, finding me at you know Shiva Rufa, or write me an email at hello at shivarufa.com. Love it. I've also linked all of that in the show notes. I've also linked um, Shiva's TEDx talk. We didn't get the chance to go to talk about that. Okay. Well, it's linked in the show notes if you want to watch it. Um, And then also some of the other resources and articles that we mentioned in this episode. Thank you, Shiva. This conversation was awesome. And to everybody else listening, we will see you in the next episode or talk to you in the next episode. Stay fierce, fam. If you're hearing this message, that means you made it to the end of this episode. Yay. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and thought to yourself, whoa, it me, I'd love if you could share this with others, post about it on social media and or leave a rating and review. Don't forget to subscribe too. Want to hang out with me in other areas of the internet? You can follow me on Instagram at Cassandra TLE. For brand message and content marketing tips and resources, check out my business at the Corky Pineapple Studio. Thanks again and see you in the next episode. Stay fierce, fam.